0: are listening to Pushing Beyond the Obvious, where we help entrepreneurs succeed. Uh, Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Mukesh. Thanks for taking time and talking to us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're one of those few guests who has uh, made a repeat appearance on the show. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Indeed, I have. I I, I very much enjoyed our previous talk. It must have been a couple of years ago, and conventional thinking, thinking. so I'm I'm looking forward to this and and, uh, as I mentioned to you uh, before we went online, this, uh, the thing I'm t- the imaginativeness, which we'll be talking about today, is something that's a new concept in my own mind too. So I'm looking forward to our discussion and hopefully uh, formulating the, 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 my thinking even better.
0: <laughs> Super. So uh, the background for this conversation is that uh, I, was, uh, I was at a workshop facilitating, uh, 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 you know, and one of the things that we talk about is the importance of imagination and uh, uh, in the entire creative process, and people started asking, you know, is, is there a way that uh, someone can learn to be imaginative? Is there someone, is there some way that you know we can become more and more creative as time passes? And I said, Yeah, I mean, imagination is uh, inherently human quality. If you can like, you can imagine. And came along your newsletter, um, which by I should say, uh, you know, uh, I've loved getting your newsletters, they're not they're detailed, in depth on a particular topic. So your newsletter comes along, uh, which is around imaginative fullness. So that's a new word that you have coined. So give us a little bit about how did you come up with the word, why, and you know any backstory there. Okay, I'd be happy
1: to. Um, well, as you can work out, imaginative, uh, imaginative fullness comes from mindfulness. Um, and that uh, is something here in, 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 in Europe is a growing thing. This notion of mindfulness, uh, of and I've I have some a small back Buddhism, not a huge background, and <clears throat> but I, I'm not really a practitioner of mindfulness. But I, I've read some very good things about it. I've heard some very good things about. It. I know many people have been helped by. It, but my understanding of mindfulness, and again, this is coming from a completely non-theistic perspective is that it's really about being aware of the here and now, you know, seeing, feeling what's around you, observing how you feel about these things, and so on. And I think I can see where that would be a beneficial thing. And I believe that research has shown that the practice mindfulness can reduce stress and, and, and increase perceived health and so on. But it struck me, as someone who has an of imagination, I mean, your uh, students perhaps complain, you know, ask, how can I be more imaginative? Sometimes I think how, how can I be less imaginative? Sometimes I just want to shut this this, this crazy imagination down and, and, and just be a bit more neutral. But I realize that, that you know, this, this uh, um, sense that I get into sometimes where my imagination just goes free, and it's a matter, I think, sometimes of Looking at the world around you and seeing what's there, imagining the possibilities, all the possibilities in a particular um, scenario, allowing your mind to kind of explore and play, basically. And, and it's indeed, um, I think imaginative is something children do very naturally. When a group of kids come together uh, in, in, in you know, your back garden. And suddenly it's no longer the bathroom, but it's, 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 it's the surface of Mars or it's, uh, an ocean liner or something else. And it can't just think, go right into that. That's no problem. And I think that demonstrates that any, with anyone with a, with a healthy functioning mind can probably be imaginative, or probably were imaginative all the but often, uh, uh, as, as study, work, and so on, tends to kind of push that away. In, in most offices, are not meant to be imaginative, or you're meant to focus on what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but I, I believe people recapture that, and I think it, it's it's a matter of, like I say, um, of, um, yeah, just, it's just looking at things, going for a walk, uh, seeing what's around you, and just thinking about all the possibilities. And, and a couple of examples come to mind, and one I think I used in that article in Report 103 as I'm reserved, is a while back um, I was having a barbecue in the garden and there were some families coming with some young kids. Now we have a swing set, um, you know, with a slide and a couple of swings for kids to play on, but my sons are rather older now, they don't play on it anymore, and I realized that one of these was, was broken. Now there's no time to go buy a new seat, and I didn't have the appropriate wood in the house to kind of fashion one myself. So I kind of went for a little walk around the back garden and 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 um, the garages. For some reason, my house had four garages. Uh, no, no, four four garages, but in and you know, full of wood and metal and goodness knows what. Uh, sometimes there's a few surprises there. But anyway, um, I just started looking around and seeing things, and in my head, I would imagine how that would fit into the you know the ropes hanging down with the loops. Um, and I would look at things and I'd say, "That's absurd," or "That's dangerous," or "It would never work." Uh, until eventually, there's this, um, like so, what would that be about um, seven centimeter uh, diameter plastic tubing that was that I had picked up some while some time ago to bury some uh, gas cables going from the ga- gas line to the house. And I thought, you know, I could cut a piece of that off. It would fit within the loops uh, for the swing set, and I could envision that in my head. And so I, you know, I cut the piece and I, I stuck it in, and it worked. And so I think that's an example of imaginative is that instead of kind of seeing what was there with me, I was literally, or not literally, but figuratively in my mind, picking things up and, and, and visually trying them out. And I think a lot of people do that. I think it's a very natural thing for um, to do something like that. But people don't realize it's being imaginative. I think a parent you know, whose teenage son or daughter goes out in the evening to a party and is late coming home often becomes imaginative in a very negative way. and think, oh, my God, what happened to her? Um, so I think it, you know, it, it, it does come about. I think that sometimes in, in, in the corporate world, there's a tendency to practice some negative imaginative fullness that, that, you know, you might go to your boss and say, I've got this great idea, and your boss immediately starts thinking about, oh, all the risks, all the things that could go wrong. So, she's actually being imaginative full in a very negative way, and she's not really seeing the potential, the positive, uh, potential of imaginative fullness. So, I think that's, you know, that's kind of defined for a, a more practical use of, um, of imaginativefulness. Um, now, uh, another example that comes to mind, and I actually posted this on Facebook, and my friends responded to it, perhaps you, you saw it, but a couple of days ago I was bicycling from my home in Epps Square to the city of Leuven, about kilometers away, um, and I do this often, and, and bicycling and walking are great ways to be imaginative and as I was bicycling along the Daila River, I saw a young man with a fishing pole uh, just standing there like so, and he had a bicycle helmet on. Now, I guess he probably bicycled to, to go fishing, okay, understandable, but that kind of, it was a bit of an anomaly to me. I reckon if someone's going to spend a few hours fishing, they'd probably take their bicycle off and let you know, the wind you know, blow through the hair and so on. So why was he there like that? And my mind, you know, started playing with possibilities. Maybe, um, um... yeah maybe he simply forgot now <laughs> now i'm i'm, I'm uh, forgetting the possibility that came through my mind
0: um... maybe, yeah, he, maybe he he just wants to have that uh, on his head he likes having the helmet on his head maybe yeah maybe he... <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, uh, he's had uh, in the past uh, 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 birds fly and poop on his head he doesn't want that to happen to him <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. That's right. Now it's coming back to mind. My first thought was he was afraid that he would land a really big fish that would hit him on the head, so he wanted the protection of the helmet so the fish wouldn't hurt him. Or um, maybe he afraid that, you know, if the fish pulled too hard he'd fall in head first and, and hit his head on the um, on the bank before falling into the river. Maybe he had, had actually a bicycling out on the way there and he cracked his skull open and he was afraid that if he took the helmet off his brains would come out. Now of course, most people in a scenario like that um, would probably go seek medical attention, but if you've damaged your brain, you might not be thinking rationally. Um, maybe he had not gamble all day and his bicycle home. He's he like, oh, no, my, my wife told me dinner tonight. So he found a fishing pole and was quickly trying to catch a fish and run away with it. A friend of mine suggested, I shared this with some friends, that um, maybe he didn't have a fishing license. And he was a police would come along, so he wanted to be able to jump on his bicycle and flee the police as quickly as possible. Um, so this is this is kind of an example of imaginative is to see something like this, that 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 has some kind of anomaly, that something just doesn't make sense, um, and to let mind play with it. Um, there's a walk I, there's a number of walks around the village where I live and and, one, and um, at uh one point there's an old horse and a donkey in the same field. And they, they, they often just stand together like, like old friends I imagine them as being old friends you kind of wonder what, what what's the difference between a horse and a donkey like and and do maybe when other horses go past they laugh at this horse for having a friend as a donkey I and mean, it's like can't you have a horse friend um, but if they do maybe the old horse doesn't care because you know this donkey's been with it years now that you know it's, it's somebody can probably share his problems with and, and you know do stuff together have a beer like there it's this is what I'm imagines this is about, imaginative fullness is about, I think, is, is to just kind of see what's around you. Instead of focusing on the here and now, focus on all the potential realities, all the potential possibilities that are there. And I, you know, for me, this is easy, but I just think for, you know, as I shared the story about the bicycle with other people, as just now with you, you were able to come up with some creative potential reasons for why this happens. So I think people can do it. It's just a matter of, of loosening up um they're thinking. And walking, for example, is a fantastic way to do that. I at Stanford University a couple of years ago, even showed that people are generally more creative when they're walking. I mean, it, 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 it seems that they can make sort of, uh, more unusual associations within their brains, and they're less likely to self-criticize when they're walking. It's a kind of um, defense mechanism in the brain. It's part of the dorsal lateral. The region kind of relaxes when you walk, and so it's, uh, self-criticizing, you kind of Build up ideas. So, walking, letting your mind run free is is, is a great possibility. Trying to solve a problem by visualizing various solutions to your head is is another way to be imaginative. Um, In the past, I've explored a little bit with meditation, actually, not myself so much, but with other victims. where I would sort of put people into a kind of meditative state where you start relaxed breathing and then, you know, relax your body through. I think you know the process if you ever uh, tried um, meditation. And um, then I will actually walk people through a scenario. Um, uh, I'm going to pick a problem they're trying to solve. So, you know, once they're kind of this relaxed meditative state, I say, okay, now I want you to start walking. You know through your mind, what does it look like? how does it feel, how does it smell until so eventually you come up to whatever this is you know, whatever the situation or scenario is, and then I you know tell people to look around it to walk through it, to you know fly over it to make it very small and and they do all kinds of things with it and 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 afterwards, people um are often astounded by the kind of observations they make because they're not used to kind of playful approach to looking at, at a situation. They tend to be very analytical and focused and, and and that's great. We need to be analytical and focused, but it's really crap to um, being being creative, uh, being imaginative. Well,
0: so is, is this what uh, could potentially be the problem when, um, uh, when people in a corporate setting complain that, you know, uh, we are not able to be creative, we are not able to come up with ideas or uh, is the lack of play or the lack of Um, you know, um, a sense of uh, 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 freeness. Uh, So for example, yesterday I was, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, teaching design thinking to someone and we are trying to solve a particular problem and we said, okay, this is the problem for this particular user, which is like all of us uh, who travel in a train and uh, uh, I wanted every one of them to come up with at least 20 ideas uh, 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 in 10-15 minutes. And the most that someone could come up with was about 15 and um, nine of them were derivative of a single idea. And uh, most of them were in the range of three to five and they were struggling to even come up with more ideas, more than four or five ideas. And this is something that they have experienced it so many times. You know, train travel is something that you have experienced so many times. And if, if you were to think... Uh, it's very. It should be very simple for them to come up with ideas, but they struggle. So, what could potentially be the struggle? Uh, cause of the struggle, do you think?
1: Well, in the court I think there's a few things that that, that um, cause the struggle. You said this was on a train, though. You said so. The, this...
0: the problem that we were trying to come up with, or uh, the ideas that we were to come up with, was how do we improve the experience of passengers traveling in a train? Okay. Um, probably one of the thing you could have done would have been to have got on a train uh, under the circumstances.
1: I think probably the least creative place in the entire world is your office desk, um, and the second least creative space in the entire world is your office meeting room. Um, so this is part of the problem. And there's actually some research came out of organization in England years ago. I can't remember who did it. But they actually found that people, yeah, people really did report that, that that they had the most trouble coming up with ideas at their office desk. Now, I, I work in a home office, I have a nice view of the countryside here, but it's not a very creative place for me. I, I get up and away from my desk when I need to be creative. So part is that, I think, um, you know, it, it, it's such a familiar place that there's not really new inspiration at your desk. You know, most people spend way too much time at their desks. Um, this research I was telling you about from Stanford showed that you know just the simple sitting um, or walking within a, you know within an enclosed space, so not even an inspiring walk, people were still fall creative when they're walking. I think just just movement, things like that helps. Sitting seems to be detrimental to creativity and imagination. Um, but that's, a, that's, that's probably the biggest problem right there. The second is most organizations have very structured approaches, structured ways of thinking. It's, it's interesting, if you work in a large company, or you know, in the worst case scenario, I worked in the European Commission for a couple of years, so a huge um, bureaucratic uh, organization, and it was interesting sometimes to see someone creative come, who come in, came with the organization and initially they're just flowing with ideas, and eventually they get down no we don't do things that way here you need to you know you need to, to, to do this, that, that, that something else get your idea approved. And they soon learn these, these ideas aren't gonna work and this is how you think and this is how you solve problems. And they sadly kind of become another cog in in, 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 in the in, in, in the corporate world. And so that I think focuses thinking. And, okay, to be honest, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, companies, most organizations aren't meant to be just producing creativity. They have processes that need to be followed. And if people are all over the place with crazy ideas, nothing would get done. So I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing in general, but it is a bad thing when you need to be creative. So the best thing you could really do in a situation like that would be well, in a normal scenario, I would say, get out and go for a walk. You know, get the team out and go for a walk. If there's a nice you know, garden or park somewhere nearby. Um, or if you they know, just go for a walk and, and do a walking meeting, that's the same question. I think you find that people have many more ideas. Now, um, I also find, I think that this, others have said the same thing, that, that train travel is actually a good way for thinking. To you know, sit in the train and, and have a gentle clunk, 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 clippy clack, clippy clack of the train ride and watching scenery Go past is, is very inspiring. And I even remember a few years ago, Amtrak, the American um, train uh, network, had created a, a kind of a, a guest author where they would invite authors to come and give, me, you know, tickets. They could sit in the train and write whilst watching the world go past. And I've done that too, actually, writing on, on trains. So train travel can be very inspiring, and as it was also relevant to the problem at hand, I would have said, get everyone on a train, you know, take our train ride somewhere, go for a walk. Um, have, a, you know, have a snack, take a train back, and on the train ride, actually ask them—you know—ask them the same question. I think you would find that that um, uh, you would have a lot more ideas flowing. And what could also be good, particularly if you're a team leader, would be to try it yourself and come up with some really crazy ideas. Because once you do that, you're also telling people crazy ideas are okay. You know, I, I'm a team leader. I just said something that's completely outrageous, so if I can do that. You can do that too, and I think that helps open people up in a a kind of a corporate team
0: environment. I mean, I think what you're saying uh, also indicates that uh, uh, the environment that you are in uh, has a large impact or a big impact on the way you think and uh, uh, work as well. So, which also leads us to, uh, you know, how do we design and how do we, uh, you know, uh, uh, design the environment that we lead our lives in, whether it is at home, whether it is in office, whether it is in the Uh, uh, during the travel that we do. So, for example, if you're traveling in a car, uh, two-way to your office, back and forth, uh, spending almost about three hours uh, in the car, it is important that uh, you design the environment inside of the car as well, uh, based on what it is that you want to accomplish in that car. So, if it is just listening to music and just going back and forth, that's okay. But if you want that journey to be uh, be used for reflection, uh, if you want that journey to be used for, let's say, uh, connecting the dots. Uh, then you need to uh, uh, design uh, the environment inside of your car in such a way that it actually not only allows you to reflect and uh, think and connect the dots, but also uh, maybe in a way triggers you to do so. Uh, same goes with your work and your home environment as well. So I mean, cars are a bit difficult
1: because one of one of the um, one of my number one rules of creativity is to a notebook at hand. So if I have an idea. I can write it down because I, you know I have a, a terrible memory, and I know that that I don't write it down, I will forget ideas. But even people with a good memory, I think it's really important because often ideas come from strange connections that you might make while well, maybe you're driving along the road and, and you see something strange, and that makes a connection to a work problem. aha And the problem's there. But if you don't write it down, you know that connection passes by. It, it's very possible you lose that 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 that. It's important to be able to write things down. Unfortunately, unless you're a a jam, you know you can't write whilst, whilst driving. At least not now. And ten years from now, with self-driving cars, that may be a completely different story. Um, but right now, so yeah, I find it hard, to, and also just having to focus on the road, I find it hard to to think as creatively whilst driving as I do while bicycling, which is one reason why I tend to bicycle. Anywhere that's within 20 kilometers or so, if I possibly can, Um, or public um, uh, transportation—you know, riding on trains, buses—that allows me to think. It allows me to to write things down. I have to worry about the distractions of the um, of of, you know the road, of people walking in front of me, to the limit, things like that. Um, Or you know, I mean, the advantage of a traffic jam is you have lots of time to think and write things down, but for me, I just get insanely frustrated by traffic jams, and and that can um, I often have very homicidal thoughts about other drivers rather than productive thoughts. Uh, so, but yes, indeed, um, you can create an environment that's such inspiring in your car, particularly if you are going to be there a long time, maybe in traffic jams. Um, and indeed, if, if if self-driving cars become the norm, it seems very likely in the next ten or twenty years, then you cannot, you know. On a, a beautiful piece of music, lay back um, and uh, and be more creative. Um, likewise, the office environment, environment but I, you know, in addition to that, it's also important to change. You know, no matter like I said, you know, I, I have the privilege of being able to work from home. In, you know, I live in a village in the countryside, so it's very peaceful here. But you know, my desk basically looks the same from one day to the next, so it 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 it's not a very in, inspiring place for ideas. And this is why I um, get up and go somewhere else. And, you know, I, I go for a walk every day or a bicycle ride every day to to be creative, to think about things, as well as, of course, the exercise potential. Or sometimes, you know, I just physically go to another chair um, and table to, to draw or to write. Sometimes I, I use drawing writing to kind of map out. It's not mind mapping. It's more kind of doodling um uh, drawing uh, problems, or drawing ideas, and stuff like that, and you're getting wasteless is, is a big start, so it is it's absolutely important to have the right environment, I understand a lot of the uh, companies in Silicon Valley are playing with that kind of thing of having, you know, having game rooms and, 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 and dance rooms even where you can put on headphones and dance to music that no one else can hear, that's kind of good stuff I, I've never experienced uh, I haven't really read any research on it but I would assume that having that kind of thing in the office space would indeed help you kind of get away from the desk and, and change your thinking and be more imaginative So, uh,
0: so that brings me to the next question I mean uh, I, you do uh, note down some uh, thoughts on how someone can actually enter this state of imaginative fullness as you call it so how can someone deliberately let's say for example on demand get into that stage or state of mind where you are more imaginative, where you are more playful, where you are more, uh, you know, creative? That, that's
1: a good question. That's something I,
0: I, that's a part
1: of this whole thing I need to work on. For me, it's relatively easy. So, you know, uh, but obviously for a lot of people, it isn't. That's something I need to, to work on. I believe that going through a walk. Um, it doesn't have to be the countryside. The city is fine too. I mean, the, advantage of the city, is there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more uh, input coming to you and, and, and stuff to play with. Um, so I think going for a walk uh, is, is very good. It's also worth thinking about where you have your best ideas. If you ask, people, where do you have your best ideas? Some people, some people will say walking. Some people will say the shower. Some people will be in the bath. Some people will say, you know, working in my garden. Whatever that is, probably a place where you can be imaginative. It's it's a place where clearly your mind lets down. It's it's defensive a bit, and you think more freely. So, um, if that's the case, and long shower or go out in the garden or whatever, that's probably a good place to do it. Um, I find that classical music uh, can help uh, me. I think um, the danger with with with. Popular music is, is the lyrics, basically. that You can get caught up in the lyrics. And if, 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 it's, if, it's, if it's a song about love, and it's as most pop songs seem to be, then you're likely to think in that direction, which isn't going to be helpful if you're trying to come up with a new idea for, for improving passenger journeys on trains, unless it involves love and sex. But that's probably not where you're trying to go. Um, um, so yeah, I think classical music or instrumental music, as opposed to music with, with lyrics, uh, can help kind of... Take you in, in, in different directions. And in fact, um, with a, a friend of mine the a concert violinist, and, and a few years ago at the Imagination Club in Belgium, which is a group that sort of experiments with workshops and things like that, uh, we did a workshop in which it was a, a, a walk in your imagination with uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. And um, basically, we talk, I talked a little bit about problems. I had everyone write down a problem or, or something that was bothering them and then to hold it up and hold it in their hand and then we just kind of, you know, get into a, a meditative state. But here I said, okay, now we're going to walk down this corridor, and at the end of the corridor is a big wooden door, and you're going to walk through the wooden door, and there Johann Sebastian Bach is going to take you on a, a, a journey in your imagination. At this point, Olga, the violinist, started playing Bach sonatas. And, um, yeah, some of the people in the, in the group had profound... And it, when, uh, you know, I, afterwards, this was completely experimental. So afterwards, I asked, you know, how did that work for you? And one guy just held up two A4 sheets of paper full of writing. Um, so at the end of it, I said, okay, I'm sorry, I've got to head myself. And at the end of it, then, I, I brought people out of it. I said, okay, now, if you need to write things down, this is the time to do it before it goes away. So you had the, guy going to meditative state, you had about 10, 15 minutes of, of Bach violin sonatas um, played by a live violinist. And then you had another 10, 15 minutes of, of, of writing things down. Um, yes. Okay, a couple of people said, no, it didn't work for me, that, but I love the music. Fair enough. But a few people had really profound results. So um, uh, I think, yeah, that just goes to show that, 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 that you know, classical music can help. I think um, I'm not an expert on meditation, I, I experiment with it a bit and kind of leading people into meditative states. But I think it is a state that can allow you to be more imaginative, particularly if you kind of bring a situation with you as you go into the meditative state, because that kind of, again, your, your, your mind kind of frees up. So I think um, uh, those things can help. Um, I hate to say it, but alcohol can help too. Um, and there has been research that has shown that, that a, a drink or two um, uh, in, increases creativity and it seems to be basically that, that it, it, alcohol reduces antigens, um which can have disastrous results if you have too much alcohol um, as, as probably most anyone who's ever had too much alcohol knows from experience but that having, just having one or two beers enough to kind of relax the mind a bit that's not the point where you're, you're getting drunk can re- reduce inhibition so again if if, um, uh, if you're comfortable with drinking I'm not saying that people who don't drink should suddenly start drinking or to encourage drinking because I also have friends who are alcoholics and I know what a very bad know that is but if you're okay with drinking yeah having a glass of wine or two um, or beer or two uh, or whiskey or whatever you know can help bring you into that state so things like this can help um, but to be honest this is something I really need to explore more with people who find it more challenging to get into an imaginative state um, I suspect certain kinds of inspiration can help, uh, again, if you do a group of people, if the leader can kind of come up with some really strange stuff, that kind of frees people to think more wildly. Um, but this is, to be honest, something I need to explore more, is how I can, how people, you know, I can help, but also how people themselves can learn to put themselves into, a, into an imaginative state um, when they need to be.
0: So some of the practices that uh, uh, we've spoken about which is you know, meditation, uh, walking, listening to classical music, uh, uh, in, uh, taking inspiration from something that uh, uh, is around you or you're going into a state where you think about certain things and then uh, allow your mind to wander. So these are all things that I think uh, we can practice on, on a regular basis as well, right? Not necessarily, so this is something like uh, what my uh, uh, grandmother used to say, is that you know you need to uh, dig the well when you don't need the water. You know if you if you only go and start digging when you need water, uh, you'll die of thirst. So in uh, if you are in a role where uh, on an on an ongoing basis you are required to be creative to be imaginative, you need to start practicing and you need to start building uh, or uh, you know um, uh, that well much ahead of time. So that when that moment comes, when you need to be creative and you need to be in your uh, best uh, 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 possible uh, state of mind, you are able to be there because you've already done all the hard work. Uh, I think that's perfectly suits what you're trying to say as well.
1: That's, that's awesome. I just told you, I write down ideas. i statement because that's
0: perfect. <laughs> so um, uh, is there anything else that you have seen work for you? I mean, uh, I should tell you that, you know, uh, Uh, Not only do I read uh, the newsletters you send out, I uh, look at the drawings that you put in those uh, newsletters. I mean, um, first of all, uh, your newsletters are really long, detailed, uh, full of information. And then you have this picture, which is both funny, wacky, and uh, uh, covers everything that you've written uh, in the single image. I mean, if you don't read anything, the entire post fully, you just read what is there in the image. That's more than sufficient to get a gist of what the entire article is about. So plus add to that, um, um, I think uh, one of the most uh, engaged posts on Facebook that I've seen is yours. So you put out a question, you put out something and there are some 15 people or 20 people responding to that. I've not seen, at least not in my friend circle, not in the people that I know of who can consistently get 25, 30 people to react to something that they put out on Facebook. Yeah, like, share maybe, but not actually respond to those queries. Um, I and at times I find that you know the questions that you pose are also like um, something which is you know uh, which you don't normally you know encounter in our day-to-day uh, uh, stuff. Or at times they are so common that we miss or we gloss over them in our lives. So I wanted to understand what is your practice in terms of you know to be in such a state where you are able to number one be you are able to write, you are able to draw, you are able to uh, uh, prompt these guys to you know get. The kind of responses that you get. Um, <laughs> writing and drawing come rather natural to me. Those, those are those, those
1: are, are are my skills. My my, my eldest son is, is brilliant in sciences. Um, he can't draw at all. My younger son draws very well. I mean, it's it's it just some people have skills more so than others. And um, you know, I I guess you grew up in a time when, when we didn't have the internet. Um, you know, I was born in America at a time when there were like six or seven television channels, which were really boring during the daytime, and as a teenager, moved to England with only three channels at the time, and um, um, it was in uh, my late teens that my parents invested in a very primitive Atari, you know, video game set, but, I, you know, there were a distraction, so when I was a kid, I, I read and I drew, and so um, I loved reading, especially science fiction, um, and so, and, yeah, I loved drawing, and, and. and and so I think these are just skills that, I have that I've had that i that I have exploited. Um, obviously, the skills that I don't have I kind of try and hide, so I, I come up as seeming rather competent. Um, and my 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 life partner would probably say um, taking care of my partner and social skills are, are a weakness of mine, but anyway, I mean, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and my two of my strengths happen to be the cartooning um, and and writing, which comes from years of experience. I've been writing on and off professionally for um, dear me, 30 years or so now, um, that comes out naturally, um, you know, I always have had an overactive imagination, activation, a realization at, you know, at a certain point in my life that, um, others weren't like me in that sense, but I always have, what you know, having crazy ideas comes very naturally to me all the time, but people start saying, you know, where did these ideas come from? Um, and I, I did art in university cult so people would sort of refer to that and I do some video work. And yeah, where do these ideas come from? How do you think of this stuff? And to me, it's, what well, they just happen. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, i realized that a few years ago, well, actually more than a few years ago, but a dozen years ago or so, as, as the innovation businesses became more, innovation, more interested in innovation and creativity, that if I could kind of understand better what's happening in my head and share that information, that would actually be something that, that people would find value. what I've been trying to do over this um, period of time. So, um, you know, combine the ability to draw with some competence, the ability to write with some competence, with no imagination, it's not really difficult for me to do this kind of stuff. Um, What's difficult for me can often be very focused, detailed um, work. I did... Um, uh, years ago I lived in Bangkok and I did tra- some translation work from Todd to English and that's really difficult because I didn't want to write what someone else had written. I wanted to write my own thing. Um, so I guess that, that's where that comes from. In terms of Facebook, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Sometimes I try posting questions like that on Twitter, nothing. On LinkedIn, sometimes. I find I have a, a cartoon and I'm just the right level of provocative, people will respond. But not to the extent that they do on Facebook. Um, and I love that, and I find it fascinating because I, I have lived nationally. Um, I've got a collection collect friend friends nationally too, and I have, you know, amongst Facebook friends, many of whom, yeah, I've, I've, most as well. No, I've met some I've actually met in real life, and others, goodness knows where they've come from. Um, uh, but because it's an international group and a, a multicultural group, and you know there there are even in religions there are there are Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians and atheists and goodness knows what else there, you just get such a a, a, a wide variety of responses from people, and that's just I find that so inspiring. That I, I come you know I do ask questions. Um, I get all kinds of insight, and that's, yeah you know, for me, that's, that's really useful. So I don't understand why people respond to these questions, except that I try and make the questions about them rather than being about me, because in general, people like talking about themselves. But I just love the fact that, that people do respond, and do respond with, with variety. Uh,
0: so you also wrote this newsletter around uh, uh, status quo. Don't trust the status quo, right? So we're talking about imagination, and I... I think it is relevant when it comes to uh, imagination also to talk about uh, uh, status quo because imagination is actually uh, you or someone trying to uh, you know shake up the status quo. So, yeah. uh, so what 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 are your thoughts on uh, status quo? And so there are times when status quo is uh, is good enough. Then there are times when you need to shake things up. So, yeah. uh, uh, if you, if, I don't know whether you, whether we discussed about this earlier when we spoke, but I personally feel that you know, uh, there are two phases uh, of any business. You know, one phase is for a business to figure out uh, what needs, what it needs to do uh, over the mm-hmm. next period period of time, uh, and once they find that out, they enter into the second phase uh, uh, where they need to eliminate everything else and become efficient in terms of you not know, doing exactly that. And that kind mm-hmm. of comes to an end at some point in time, and then they again need to figure out what next and again once they figure out then again they go out all out in terms of you know uh, efficiently executing that so there is this uh, balance and there is this uh, uh, you know duality of uh, business that I uh, I think of and I uh, see businesses go through and there is a, a, a status quo required uh, when you are uh, you know uh, in the efficiency mode where you know you execute, 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 but then what happens is, in that mode, once you move from that mode to becoming the creative mode, uh, uh, you carry along with you the status quo uh, and then you struggle, right? So, how number one, how do we know? Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot and I'd love to have your uh, perspective as well. How do we know uh, that you know we are now no longer the efficiency mode works for us? So we need to move into the creative and exploration mode and once we decide to move into that mode how do we ensure that uh, the entire thing around process efficiency and the status quo is kind of you know left behind and we are in a mode where we are ready to challenge the status quo where we are ready to express we are we are ready to explore and be imaginative have you thought in terms of these things and uh, what what would you uh, you know, advise someone who's struggling in this way.
1: Wow. Okay, that requires a bit of thought. You know, I, I, you have to. I know I've, I've done, having written about no plus of status quo. I believe I also dug into a bit of research on the topic, um, but it's not clear. it's not in my memory right now. But yeah, indeed, people tend to. You know, there tends to be a status quo bias. People tend to follow the status quo. If they're uncertain about what to do. You follow the status quo. Um, And I think that's often drilled into people. And I think in that article, I referred to my own part, one of the the my father did, which I realized much later, in life. if he never compared me or my brothers to people, if never, you know, your brother did much better in, 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 in history than you, what's wrong with you, Jeffrey, or, you know, oh, my God, the neighbors have a BMW, we've got the Mercedes, you know, he, he just didn't care about this stuff. And, and I, I think that's part of him because he's high-functioning autistic, but that's beside the point. It kind of brought me up, not comparing myself to others, not comparing myself to the status quo, which I think has given me a huge... Uh, freedom, which uh, sadly my father uh, passed away, but thank him for that. Um, but um, yeah it's a tendency to t- you know it tends to be a bias towards the status quo uh, and people often become comfortable to push too far from the status quo. and again, this tends to be a good the status quo defines appropriate behavior, it defines you know how you know if if if, if, if you and I, Meet each other, you know, we probably shake hands. You know, in person, we, we've actually talked a few, exchanged emails and so on, but we've never actually met face to face. But we do, you know, we shake hands and follow certain things that were according to the category. And that's good. I mean, if if, you know, I came up to you with a warm, and you came up to me with like a Thai-style y or something like that. You know, would would be a mess. But this sort is of the status quo. Ensures that when we meet face to face, things would you know be be rather smooth, and we can kind of move into a meaningful conversation. There's a lot of good things about the status quo. But if you become overly reliant on it in terms of creativity, if you want to act the status quo, that tends to be the opposite of creativity, which is during away from the status quo. Um, in terms of how companies can do that, that is really difficult. My my. You know, it's something I'd like, I'd probably think about, but my, my instinctive response is what probably would make more sense for a company is to have, um, go for a variety of people rather than trying to change how people think, which is really difficult. So you might have, you know, a team of, of ten people, for example, seven or eight are kind of status quo followers that they, you know, they're, they're they're good with that. That's what they're comfortable. Fine, and you get a couple of eccentric rebels who who tend to veer away from the status quo. Um, and to some extent, so the status quo people will be following the status quo. The, the other people would be questioning stuff on a regular basis. Maybe coming up with ideas, even when you don't necessarily want to be. That can still be useful because maybe you know you you're, you you create this strategic goal and you're kind of following along like this. And someone might say, well, why are you doing it that way when if you do it this way, you know, you can do it half the cost and 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 twenty percent less time or something like that. So even when you're meant to be kind of you know very focused, people kind of with outside thinking, I think, can bring in ways of improving what you're doing. Um, And uh, then when you have time to rethink things, then you might put these people in kind of the the, the kind of crazy thinkers more in charge of of the free thinking. And that would be my approach. Instead of trying to force people to do the way they think, I think it's really difficult and it tends to make people uncomfortable, Um, which if you have someone who's used to following the status quo and you say, okay, I want you to be crazy for the next six months, that's probably going to panic and even. Stick close to the status quo. So I, I think the variety of people would be a, a more effective approach, um, and that that gets into a whole other thing that I've written about. And I think um, uh, uh, irritates not irritates me. I sense the company say we want creative people, and so on, and, and yet. Um, limited. Profile. You know, if you want a new marketing you know, person for marketing, look for someone with you know, five or ten years, of, you know, an MBA from a known university, many years of marketing experience. You know, and some of that experience should be in a similar company. Well, people are probably extremely talented, but they're not necessarily going to. They probably won't bring new thinking to the organization because they're, you know, just like everyone else. Whereas you bring in someone, um, you know, from another country who's, who's done different things. She's going to have a very different perspective. She's going to bring new thinking to an organization. So I think that that, that also hits another problem with the organization is they, they, they should actually make it a practice to hire a few crazy people. Not too many, but a few of them. But you also then need to create an environment where which they can go, go even crazier themselves.
0: Interesting. So, uh, Jeffrey, now I'd like to come, uh, you know, shift gears a little bit and try to uh, yeah. uh, ask some questions that I tend to ask uh, 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 some of my guests over the period of time. So, uh, is there any a book, uh, piece of art, or uh, uh, a movie that uh, you've seen uh, in the recent past that has had an enormous amount of impact on you? And if yes, why? Oh,
1: Book, yeah, um... What a. Uh, just, i just i just read know, a couple of interesting I, books. I I have a I have a huge problem. Um, of what I, what have <laughs> I read recently? This book. Uh, one of the interesting <laughs> things, I'll uh, answer that slightly totally differently. One of the things I constantly talk to I read a lot. I, I um I'm kind of a compulsive reader. I talk to a novel a week, I read the economist regularly, I read the news, you know, um other stuff. I am a compulsive here. Um so one of the things I've constantly trying to read more women authors uh, within within the uh, realm of fiction uh, tend typically to, to historically far more male authors than female authors so I' constantly trying to read uh, female authors um, whose books focus on on, on on female main characters kind of and I find that it's giving me um, uh, a new perspective on things. Uh, say most, you know, I was a science fiction reader when I was younger and, and, and so many of those books um, are written by male authors. But yeah, if you look in, in a library, a bookshop, particularly in fiction, and it's a lot more male authors than female authors. That is starting to change. Um, and it's kind of strange because I think I've read research that shows women tend to be bigger readers than men, particularly in fiction. So it's kind of strange. But indeed, it, it has been very enlightening. Now, unfortunately... Um, I I can't think of the titles or even the authors of, of a couple of the more interesting books I've read. I have, if I think about it, I could send you an email later. But I really can't think of anything. But just that that kind of different train in my reading has been has been inspiring, and, and it's helped me to I think understand things from a more female perspective. And that that's absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, well, I've not been to a new art museum in in, in a while now. I I, I need that. Um, I revisited the ones in Belgium, and uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've been to a new art museum. So I have to say that uh, recent uh, influence is basically that that's within the reading. So, far.
0: so uh, do you have certain routines or certain habits that uh, you do every single day, uh, which help you in uh, in the work that you put out?
1: Um, yeah, but I, what. Next two, which i mentioned already, is one is almost every almost every day um, I go for a, a a walk or a bicycle ride of at least 45 minutes, um, sometimes more. And that's partly I, I work in a home office, so my commute is basically stairs to downstairs. It's not much of a commute. So partly it's it, it, it's it's like getting some exercise and it's energy management because I have a lot of energy and I, I just sit in a chair all day load, and that would be bad for everyone. Um, So it's partly for the exercise, but it's um, also, it's when I think. And um, sometimes I'll I'll go out for a walk, and if uh, if there's a problem that's troubling me, or I'm looking for an idea for an article for Report 103, or something like that, sometimes I just go out for a walk, and, and just my mind is all over the place and that's okay. Um, tend to go for a bicycle, usually a bicycle ride is more practical. I, okay, I live in a village, so living live in the nearest city, is about 12 kilometers away. Brussels is about 20 kilometers away. I have business there, often bicycle um, for the exercise. Occasionally I have a bicycle. But walking, of course, it, it, you have, don't have to pay as much attention to what's going on walking as you do bicycling let alone in, in a car. But you do have to be careful. Once some years ago, I was so caught up in my thinking, was well, going for a walk. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay, your picture's frozen. That's why I was asking. <laughs> uh, I was so deep in thought that as I was walking, suddenly something hit me in the face. Like, Pow! <laughs> and I sort of looked up, and I'd actually walked right into a signpost, pose, <laughs> nose first. And I broke my nose. It was, <laughs> so uh, it is a little bit dangerous to be too caught up when you're walking. Uh, <laughs> the as I said, is I carry a, 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 um, a notebook with me at all times. So I write notes uh, if I have them. Um, I've also sort of, what I've learned relatively recently is to, um, manage my day according to the kind of energy and creativity I have. Um, for example, I tend to be most creative at night, but I'm least kind of focused. Uh, in the mornings, I'm less creative, but I'm very focused. So generally, I'll have ideas at night and write them in the morning, and that's that's very productive. And I actually, a lot of authors and writers do exactly the same thing. That somehow the morning is is best for that kind of thing. Um, afternoon is I don't know, I'm probably least useful in the afternoon. So that's most likely when I'll go for the walk or the bus or do some errands. And in the evenings, I start to get have more ideas. Late at night, I, I don't want to work at night, but I tend to make notes or scribble drawings and things like that uh, to keep that down. So managing, yeah, managing my day according to my energy has been very uh, helpful habit. Um, those are the helpful ones. I mean, I yeah, you know, normal ones like how much coffee I drink and when I eat meals. But that I don't think creativity. That's just sort of normal human human habit.
0: So tell us a little bit about Report 103, I mean I've been getting it for almost I think four 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 and a half years, more than that if I, if I remember correctly. So how long have you been doing that and uh, uh, how many subscribers you have, what kind of uh, responses do you get from people, uh, why do you keep doing that, I mean you've been doing that for such a long period of time. A very long period of time since 2004. So, uh, as far as I know,
1: it is the longest-running newsletter, blog, or whatever on innovation. Um, I've never come across anything longer. Chuck Frey, you may know, had a, a newsletter that had been going. It started before Port 103, but sadly he stopped. It was it was a very good newsletter. He he um, because he wasn't so involved in innovation himself. It was I thought it was interesting that he didn't have the kind of biases that. You know, I have, and other people have, who are writing their own newsletters. Motivation um, tools—that was called. So it's been the longest-running newsletter. Now, I do it, and why I continue to do it is comes down to um, in two, yeah, 2003, I left a very bureaucratic and boring organization where I've been working, and I had this idea to build a um, uh, an idea management software and. Um, and I started building it. And, it's you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm overly optimistic. And and I have this sort of Chinese entrepreneur approach from living in Thailand for for 10 years. is is, is you jump first and then you look. Um, rather than looking first, which I think tends to be more sort of the Europeans probably spend too much time looking and worrying. The Americans look and then jump. And it's, it's a bit of all of that. But I kind of dove in and started the software. And then I realized, you know, here I am. I'm building a, an idea management software, basically a tool that would allow um, managers and organizations to launch challenges In what ways might we improve our, our you know, our bank, uh, banking uh, tools. And then people can submit ideas, they can collaborate on ideas, and then there's evaluation tools and so on. There's a number of software products like that out there now. I started developing it, but I realized uh, belatedly that, um, you know, in order to sell to large companies, think like a manager software is only into a company that has a few hundred employees. Small companies, you don't need software, you sit down and you talk. Um, you know, here I was—I was a small company, basically a one-man show, outsourcing, um, living in a small village in a small country, trying to convince big companies to trust me and, and my software. And, and you yeah, know, I belatedly realized that wasn't going to be easy. And but um, <clears throat> I had some experience. Um, that newsletters are a very powerful tool, and much more so then, because you know, now everyone has a newsletter. You, know, you, you write a blog and you have to have a newsletter. Um, but at that time, there are far fewer newsletters about. And so the idea was basically to um, demonstrate expertise. So people oh, thought, this, this guy knows what he's doing, he's trustworthy, probably his software is okay too. Um, and it took me a little, flipping around a bit, really, and, and the first few issues were kind of, Focusing on, on existing art, you know, linking to existing articles and commentary. But I eventually, you know, built a bit of self-confidence and and um, started writing my own uh, opinions and thoughts on it and so on. Um, and it very quickly gained a, a following. Uh, a lot of people joined up. But they say there really wasn't much else at that time. And this was before I, you know, now that there's too many newsletters out there. Um, and it up, uh Quite a following. Now it's got, I don't know, seven 8,000 subscribers. It's not huge, but it's definitely a a, 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 a subscriber base. Um, and why do I keep doing it? What? Going back to a very pragmatic marketing business, but I would say that a substantial amount of the business I get. Now, uh, you, you know, but people listening to this might not know, I left the software business some years ago. I, you know, I, I've always said, I've been an entrepreneur a big chunk of my life, um, I'm one of the other self-employed and I said there's basically three reasons to start a business, either to have fun, earn a lot of money or ideally both and I realized with software I was not having fun and whilst the company was turning money, uh, around 2008 we had the banking collapse, business collapse as well and so I wasn't making money anymore either and I didn't feel like building up the business again so I pulled out and focus on on, on, on uh, writing books and workshops, that kind of thing. Um, but over the years, probably three quarters of the business I've, I've, I've done has started at what 103. Uh, someone will say, you know, that article you wrote about uh, challenges innovation managers face really read with me, Jeffrey. I'd like you to come in and do a workshop with with my team for you know, our, our annual innovation meeting in, in, in Kakao whatever. whatever. Um, Purely just for the business it brings in—that's a good reason to continue it. Um, But uh, it also helped me to do is to um, define my own thinking, especially early on. Um, Now I've been doing this for a lot longer, and and you know I have to have kind of define my thinking. But actually, have to write about something um, uh, is you know is is a very good way to define your thinking. And okay, actually getting experience, what I was doing is I. um, Implementing software for clients and, and giving them training and, and giving them advice and so on and the questions they ask. Um, I also must say I kind of lost my content idea management software brings value. Uh, it's another reason to get out of the business. Um, and so as I was doing training, workshops and and, and and also then the questions that people asked me, the, the feedback that they gave me in the newsletter... Um, you know, inspired me. People would ask me questions, and I'd, I'd start to write answers. And I realized, hey, this is actually a good article. So I'd kind of write the answer in email, i edit it slightly, and post it as, as, as an article. And it's, it's been, you know, in addition to that, um, probably how you and I met each other through the newsletter. So I've met some, you know, I've met friends, um, uh, professional associates, uh, and so on. So it's, it's, you know, it's brought a lot of benefits to me. That makes it well worth the the, the time it takes to to put it together and and and, and put it out.
0: So you've also recently released an online course, right? So what is it all about, and uh, how can people? Uh, uh, who is it intended for, and how can people join? The uh, it's basically
1: intended for um, innovation managers. Uh, most of the people I've worked with uh, over the, the years in terms of creativity as innovation managers often middle to senior level managers in, in larger organizations who have been put in charge of innovation and maybe they're feeling a little bit lost. They're looking for um, help. And they, you know, often they find my website, subscribe to the newsletter, and so on. And so the Air was... Uh, and it, it, for, for these people, they face a lot of challenges. I mean, one of the positive things is very often the CEO um, chooses them directly. often have a more direct line to the CEO than they would normally... Um, have and, and very often, almost always these innovation managers are playing two roles. They might be a, an R and D manager and an innovation manager, or a marketing manager and innovation manager, and so on. Um, but the innovation and one of the positive things they generally have a direct connection to the CEO. One of the, the biggest challenges they tend to face is they have the remit to uh, develop ideas, to capture ideas. Um, one positive thing is they have a budget now. Now. In the early days of two thousand four, they often made innovation managers. They didn't actually have any budgets. So they'd contact me, with questions, they say, Well, I gotta go ask my boss, and I wouldn't hear from them again. Um, or they'd say, Yeah, I would follow up and they'd say, well, oh, you we know, you have a budget and maybe next year or whatever. Um, now they, they 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 have a budget so they can they can buy the management software, they can hire me to do do things. One of the biggest challenges that they tend to face is is the implementation of ideas. Because we'll, we'll have the the authority from the CEO to to do these things to encourage creativity, encourage innovative thinking, they don't have the authority to approve ideas. So you know, um, I might be an innovation manager. You might have an absolutely awesome idea, but I really don't. That I, you know, I'm a combination marketing manager, innovation manager. Your idea is a production-related idea, and I just do not have the wherewithal to approve the idea. The best I can do is sort of send it to 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 Mary, who's the you know in charge of this. But if she's not interested, she's not interested. So they often hit a wall where they can d- d- capture ideas, but they can't open it. And this is like the number one frustration of many people I've spoken with. Is they've got loads of ideas, loads of ideas. But the creativity level is rather low, and I think you expressed your own challenges there. And I think you know, face the same kind of thing as trying to get people to be creative in an uncreative environment where they're meant to be focused. So that is one problem, is getting people to be truly creative, the other problem is actually implementing ideas. And when ideas aren't being implemented, then of course people become demotivated. Why should I come on Jeffrey's innovation initiative when, you know, nothing's going to happen? The idea will get lost eventually. Um, But also, of course, the people are put in charge of innovation, professionals are confident people and they feel a certain frustration that, that they can't actually see this through. Often CEOs are, seem to be keener on talking innovation than really doing innovation, um, and of course innovation ultimately involves risk, you know, a really innovative idea. Um, the iPhone's a great example. I mean, you know, the amount of money Apple invested in the iPhone, if that had commercial failure, it might have bankrupted Apple, or it certainly would have been disastrous to the company, but it was a best and so it did very well. And it helps it was the brainchild of the CEO of Apple at the time, but... You know, CEOs understand reluctant to invest huge amounts of money in ideas that are untested, particularly if it's not their own brainchild, they're coming from, you know, some crazy guy in accounting or whatever. Um, so, um, so, you know, that's one of the, one of the challenges, and secondly, even if you do implement ideas, that often involves change, and people generally do not like change, especially over which they have no control. So, you know, if it suddenly announced that there's going to be huge changes in the way the product is produced, that tends to scare people. and and, and so there's a lot of reasons why you know innovation initiatives tend to die somewhere in the middle without ideas being implemented. but there's a huge frustration there. The other thing, of course, is how to um, how to measure the value of an innovation initiative because they have ideas that are not being implemented. how can could you as an innovation manager prove to your CEO that you are actually generating some kind of real value when which we have is a collection of ideas at some level of implementation? And if an idea does go through and it is developed by, say, the R&D department, then you as the innovation manager are probably less likely to be credited with it than the R&D department that actually implements the idea. So this addresses some of those challenges. Um, I think another problem that, that I think a, a problem that a lot of innovation managers face is their own doing is that they're too desperate to bring innovative ideas. And... What they really need to do is, is focus on the the um, strategic vision of the organization. Um, if you look at the companies that are highly innovative in the world, they um, you know, look at Apple, you know, Apple corporate pages, Google pages, Facebook corporate, corporate pages, and one word you don't actually see very much, if at all, is innovation and innovative. You know, they're focused on these sort of strategic vision and perceive innovation simply as a tool that gets them there. Um, Companies, you know, if you look at HP, Lenovo, whatever, kind of have innovation all over their corporate websites, because, you know, they're all about, you know, they're, they're, they're doing innovation cuts all over the place, but rather than focusing on a vision, you know, it's a little bit here, a little bit there, that, that doesn't really help so much as, as, as folks going to vision. And another thing um, innovation managers need to do is to learn how to um, focus on that vision, and if that vision doesn't exist, because a lot of companies don't really have a focused strategic vision, they may actually have to be so audacious as to create a vision. Now, they can't call it the, the, the corporate strategic vision, but they can call it an innovation vision and so on. So the course basically covers some of this stuff to help innovation managers go to a level where they're less focused on generating lots of ideas and more focused on gen- relevant ideas that are aligned with strategic, um, aligned with strategy, and then also creating these um to make it easy to sell these ideas to the manager. This is making managers who can actually make them happen. So that's what the course covers. If you go to creativejeffrey.com, my site, um, there's a link there. You click on the link, uh, services link, whatever, and um, yeah, you'll find it. You sign up, uh, give me a little bit of information, and the course is free. And, you're also, I mean, it, 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 it's videos, it's text, it's questions and so on. You're also welcome to contact me at any point. My contact information is, is on every page of, 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 of the course. You can contact me with questions or feedback and so on.
0: Super. So I think uh, uh, we have already reached the end of our time. So uh, uh, thanks a lot for taking time and talking to me today. It was fun as uh, was the last time. Uh, and uh, can you just tell people where they can reach a, reach uh, you, if uh, they want to reach you. Well, as I say, the
1: web, uh, uh Jeffrey J E N R E Y uh, one word dot com, uh, is the website. You can find me. You know, there's contact form. There's loads of articles there. There's cartoons and so on. If you want to contact me, directly Jeffrey at creativejeffrey is my email address. You know, I would hear from anyone who has you know, got a question, got feedback want to share something I mean, that, that, that sort of thing is so inspirational to me so
0: I would love to hear from, from, from anyone who is who's, who's listening to this Super. Thanks a lot and have a good day Thank you for listening to this episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious If you like the show and would like to support please head over to iTunes or wherever you are listening to this show and rate us and write a review Till next time have fun